All righty, let's take our seats. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your attention. Hey, welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. My name is Jesse. I'm part of the, the team here. Uh, for the most part, I have the opportunity to preach on most Sundays, which is a great privilege to do so. want to welcome you if you're new and let you know about a couple things uh, that you need to be aware of. One, if you are new, we have an app. The app is a great place. Uh, just download on your phone. You can turn the alerts on there. It has all of our blogs, all of our messages. Uh, there's a place to take notes. There's all of our events. There's our newsletters in there. It's all in one place. We do send out a newsletter every week. That goes out every Monday. Tells you about everything that's happening. Hopefully you're getting that. Uh, if not, please sign up for it in that app or on our webpage. But want to make sure you get there. Uh, and while I kind of keep going, the ushers are willing to hand you a Bible if you don't have one. And as I kind of continue to talk, turn to Mark chapter 7. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, again, just raise your hand. And Cameron would love to hand you one of our Bibles. Um, so, uh, yeah, the app, the new. if you're new, there's a gift for you. Just take the little card that's in the front of your seat, give it to the info booth, and we'll give you a gift free uh, of charge. Nothing, nothing to pay there. It's just for you. has a coupon in there for a local coffee shop here in town. So just want to let you know about that if you're new. Uh, and then a couple other things you need to be aware of. Uh, August 13th, which is just right around the corner. It's so crazy to me to be thinking that if you're a parent, you're already starting to plan for school. How's that feel, Wix? Does it feel good? No? <laughs> Send them away. So, that, I mean, that's right around the corner. But before we, before we do that, on August 13th at uh, 9 a.m. here, we're doing a, a class from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on how to share your faith, how to put yourself out there, how to share who Jesus is. We're going to feed you breakfast. We're going to feed you lunch. Uh, and then we're going to equip you, and then there's an opportunity uh, to kind of go out and, and learn that experience. Most Christians don't share their faith, and so we feel like this was a, a good way for us to just kind of help some of you get your feet wet, get a little bit of, of, of a equipping so you can feel good about going into the community or to your friends or your family or whatever. It's always better to practice on strangers, right? So if you mess that up, you'll never see them again, uh, and then that way you can, you can hone it in for family and friends, right? So August 13th, uh, we're praying for that now. We've got a whole team every Thursday night at 6 p.m. praying. And they'll be praying all the way up to the event. And then the day of the event, they'll be praying as well. So August 13th, make sure you sign up for that. Then before that, before that, who knows what next week is? We will not be in this building. One big old service, 10 a.m., uh, West End Pavilion. We rent that out usually every year. This is the first year we've done it since all the COVID stuff. But uh, it's open now. They're letting us rent it. They're letting us pay them money so we can be at the beach. We've got some games lined up for you. I, I know some people are bringing some jet skis and stuff. Uh, but want to invite you to come. Again, we're going to feed you there. Just asking you to bring uh, a side dish. Uh, maybe a dessert, but we want to invite you to come. And then we're going to do a little service down there, and we're going to do baptisms. Right now, I think we've got about 10 individuals lined up uh, for baptism. And then if you have not yet been baptized and you want to practice your faith and share with your church family that you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, please contact the office. We'll put you on the list, uh, and we will make sure that you get dunked on Sunday next week. Okay? Are you guys with me now? 
All right, one last thing. I'm going to ask the entire Kraft family to come up. Most of you know Amy uh, and Joe. And Joe and Amy, yeah, you give them a hand. They're a huge, huge asset to our church. God's been really good. And and uh, Kinsey. So uh, this is kind of tough. This is a little hard. And some of you may know and some of you may not know. But Joe and Amy, they this is one of those things that only God could kind of put together. When I was in San Diego... Joe and I met like almost about 20 years ago, probably. And he was selling some artwork at a church and I got to know him just a little bit and thought he was a really neat guy. And, and then a few years goes by, you know, we lose basis and, and whatnot. He ends up working and helping out at uh, school of evangelism, which is where I was trained. And so did Amy. Amy was, I think an assistant there, right? Pretty much, pretty much ran it. Yeah. That's what she's doing here now too. So, um, and, uh, and anyways, full circle, Amy's parents had a house here, and, and now they're in that house. They were able to purchase that house. They moved here in part to enter into a journey of having children. And what God has led them on, and first of all, is Kinsey. Kinsey uh, was adopted several years back, a couple years. Has it been two or three years? Four years? I don't even know. Two years. And I was at that. That was a very cool thing. And they have been fostering on and off kids and they have with them this morning uh george and henry both named after kings and how long have you had george um 15 15 16 months and how about henry uh since day six since day six of what (laughs) oh a month later of so they're brothers and the they have what's really kind of it's beautiful and it's difficult but George, uh, I think his first steps were with Amy and Joe. His first words were with Amy and Joe. And these two little guys have been like, they, they're their kids. And they're going to be reunified with their parents after next week. And so they've gone through this journey. They've loved these kids. And, and Amy said, hey, I'd really appreciate if we could just communicate to the church what's happening. And if we could have some prayer. And so we want to pray for Amy and Joe. That the transition, obviously, is as smooth as possible. And... And that it isn't, uh, I don't think there's any way for it not to hurt, right? But they want to know that God's going to really take care of these little boys. And especially these little boys' parents. They, they need Jesus. They need a relationship with Jesus. And Joe and Amy are there, that connection. Uh, and so we just want to pray for them, want to put them before you. And, and, and I know a lot of you are used to seeing these beautiful little kids around. We're hoping and praying maybe the parents will let them bring them to church on occasion. You can have a sip, dude. That's totally acceptable. Um, and so let's pray for them, if you would. Would you just extend your hands out? If you want to stand, stand. But let's, let's pray for them and, uh, and just pray that the Lord will, will continue to do a great work in them and through them and lead them to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much. I, I just want to say, Lord, you, you're so good in bringing Joe and Amy here to us and us for them. And, Lord, they, they're family. And these boys are family. And it's going to be hard to not see them regularly. And it's going to be difficult for Joe and Amy to let go and allow your spirit to lead these young boys to salvation. But that's what we're praying for, God. That these little boys will come to know you and lead good and healthy lives. And we pray that for their mom and for their dad. Bring them to maturation, Lord, and bring them close to you. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You take him off before he takes a dive off of there.
Well, give them a hand, would you please? Thank you, guys. Love you. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, Man, ministry can be tough. Life can be tough, but it's filled with beauty as well. Um, This morning, we're in Mark chapter 7. And I want to ask the question up front before we stand and read and and get in the text. I just want to ask you to step into what a what what kind of traditions do you enjoy? What are the things on a yearly basis? Maybe you have a tradition on a daily basis. Hopefully that tradition is to brush your teeth. But we all have certain traditions that we that we take part in. Some some of them are yearly, right? Some of them are daily. Uh, we have Fourth of July, right? We celebrate Fourth of July in Truckee Parade. Uh, fireworks, the pancake breakfast at the firehouse. Those are all things that are traditions in our area. And of course, there are several others. I had a tradition as a young man when I was playing football. I, I literally, when I was playing football, I'd get up in the morning before the game and I would pray through uh, the, the, uh, uh, the armor of God. And I would pray that through in the morning and I would pray that through while I was putting on my pads. And it would remind me as I placed that helmet on my head, I mean, this is me as a, as a high school kid, even thinking about Christ, right? The helmet of salvation, uh, place that on my head, and I'd pray for the breastplate of righteousness as I put my shoulder pads on, that I'd be righteous for the Lord. And as I strapped in my cleats, you know, that the, 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 the shoes of the gospel that would go forth and preach, it was a reminder that, that ultimately, as I loved football, I was to be an example of God, and I was to be an example to my teammates, and I was to be an example uh, to those I was playing against, and it just reminded me, it was a tradition that reminded me that football is fun and football is great, but there's a greater purpose, and that purpose is to honor the Lord. And so because of that, I wasn't much of a trash talker on the field. I, I didn't talk a whole lot. I, I just tried my best to represent uh, God at the age of 17, you know, which is, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was my tradition, and it gave it meaning. And that's what tradition is. Tradition is meant to remind us of a deeper meaning. Tradition, before we get into the text, I want you to understand that traditions are not bad. They can become bad, and that's what the text is about this morning. And we're going to see this morning, Jesus is going to be confronted by the Pharisees, which we have not seen too much of of the Pharisees since chapter 3. So the last time that we've seen the Pharisees in the Gospel of Mark is when the Pharisees are plotting to gather the death of Jesus. This is in chapter 3 of Mark, verse 6. Now here in chapter 7, the Pharisees rise up and they start to confront Jesus more openly. And specifically, they're going to question Jesus in regards to the traditions that the disciples are or rather are not practicing. And then Jesus is going to respond to that. So if you have the ability to this morning, would you turn to John? uh, John, I keep confusing Mark and John together for some reason. Turn to Mark chapter 7, and would you stand with me as we read together and honor God's word. So great examples. I was thinking about this. We do this every Sunday. This is a tradition that we stand. So again, we practice, everyone practices traditions. There's no way around it. Here we are, we're standing uh, for, for scripture. And so it's kind of fitting to see how does this fit in with the text. Chapter seven, verse one. Now, 
when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was in Galilee. So these men have traveled now to Jesus to confront Jesus. They came from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples, verse 2, they ate with hands that were defiled, that is, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to the, the tradition, there's the word this morning, of the elders, when they come from the marketplace, they do, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as washing cups and pots, topper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely have gained from me is Corban that is given to God. Then you no longer, no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. O Lord, as we dive in, we pray that we would get to the heart of the solution of one's heart. Yes, Lord that we would get to the heart of the solution of one's heart. We trust you for that work. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated, please. What's interesting is in chapter 7, it's just interesting to me, maybe because I'm teaching it and seeing the nuances and the details. And one of the details that we've seen in Mark is that the disciples and Jesus are so incredibly busy with ministry that they barely have any time to eat. That's actually been mentioned twice. Now, this is the third time it's mentioned in chapter 7 because they're trying to eat. It's as if Mark is trying to get us into the detail of the the rapid movement of this gospel. Things seem to be moving so quickly. The disciples don't seem to be eating. They finally get to eat, and now they're interrupted by the Pharisees and the scribes. Who are these men? Pharisees are the, the religious group that, that knows kind of what they're doing. They, they know the word of God. The scribes, on the other hand, are like fact checkers for the Pharisees. These are the kind of guys that basically would look at the law and interpret the law. And what I mean by the law is I mean specifically the law of God. So this is literally what, what happened and what is happening here is the law of God is coming into contact with the life of Jesus and the disciples see the law of God. They start questioning Jesus, start questioning the disciples. Are you not really living according to the Old Testament? That's the question. Jesus, we're frustrated with you because you are not living according to the prophets. You're not living according to the, 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 the priests. You're not living according to all of that which is in the Old Testament, what is going on, what is wrong with you? And they specifically talk about hand washing. Now, I'm, I'm kind of excited to preach this message past the COVID pandemic, right? Uh, I, I'm, I, there's a part of me as I was reading this, I was thinking, what if I had to preach this in the first three months of the pandemic? Because literally what the Pharisees are doing is they're coming in just like Fauci and saying, wash your hands. Why are you not clean? Now, there's all kinds of manipulation that's happening here that may not be seen on the surface, and it isn't. 
You see, we know, if you've been part of a church for a long time, if you've been part of preaching for a long time, you know that this group of Pharisees are not seen in, in positive light very often within the Gospels. I mean, we know that this is something God set up. So this is, this is literally what happened in the Old Testament. God sets forth certain traditions for the people of God, the Jews. And he essentially says to them, he says, okay, I'm going to give you practices. I'm going to give you traditions. I'm going to give you festivals. I'm going to give you parties. All of them are for your enjoyment, but all of them point to a greater, uh, a greater thing. The symbol, the action, it points to something greater. Like 4th of July, right? We, we, we throw fireworks in the air to celebrate bombs bursting in the air. Right? It's, it's, we are victorious. Those blasts remind us of the explosions of what our forefathers went through to declare our independence. Right? It's to, to give us a deeper meaning. When we hear the booming and we've turned this kind of hard thing into a beautiful thing, right? Death and, and destruction pointing towards our liberty and our freedom. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. So Jesus, God, Yahweh, sets up all these different rules. Most of them have to do with cleanliness and dietary laws. And the purpose of that was, A, God would literally, before science knew about germs, God set up for the people of Israel a way for them to stay healthy. I mean, for instance, the reason that that Jews in their dietary laws don't eat lobster is because it's a bottom feeder and they're probably not, God knows, not real healthy for you to eat a bunch of those. You can't live on a diet of lobster. I'm just going to tell you, you can try, but you shouldn't. And as as things progressed, the law, by God's intention, was to show the problem of humanity and the solution of humanity. What's the problem of humanity? The problem of humanity is, and I think everybody understands this and knows this down deep, we're dirty. We have an issue. And the issue that's in us makes us unclean. And so what God did in his sovereignty is he said, okay, listen, I'm going to set up all kinds of things that have symbols that point again to a greater meaning. One of those things, for instance, is the temple. When you go into the temple, everything in the temple is marked, designed, created to point you to something greater, to point you towards God. And the people who took care of the temple, who were they? It's a group of a family called the Levites. And the Levites, specifically, if you ever follow through the Old Testament, you'll see all the different tribes of Israel, there were 12, all got a piece of the promised land. They all got a chunk, except for one group. Who? The Levites. And the Levites were the ones who were to care for the temple. They were the priests. They were the ones who intervened on behalf of God and the people. They're the ones who helped instill and make sure the traditions were moving year in and year out, everything from the Sabbath, so on and so forth. And so the priests were given instruction by God. Priests. Levitical priesthood. When you go into the temple, when you go through the sacrificial system, you must wash. You must bathe. You must be clean. Why? Again, it's to show man is dirty. God is holy. God specifically placed a commandment for the Levitical priesthood to wash their hands when they did certain things within the temple. Who has to wash their hands? This is important. I just said it. I know I'm blonde, so it's possible I did. I am blonde under the, underneath. Well, if it, there's blonde hair here. 
The answer to the question is only the priests. Not everybody else. This was specifically for the priests who were dealing specifically with the things of God. And what happened was the Jews, before the Old Testament, this is something that, that very common for Judaism. Judaism first was an oral, an oral tradition thing that, that was passed down. I know that sentence didn't make a ton of sense. The Jews set up that their traditions of God initially, originally, were oral. Did you know the common young little Jewish boy would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy before he was 11 years old? That's five books of the Bible. You can't even, some of you can't even memorize a verse. They memorized the first five books. It was in their brains. And so what they said was, what they said was this. They said, okay, we, we have these laws. Everyone knows these laws. We need to ensure this is the problem with man. Man said, we need to protect the law. So they came up with another oral tradition. They called it the fence around the law to protect the law, right? This is like having, literally what this is like is having a fence around your house and putting another fence around your fence to protect the fence around your house. That's what this is like. So they set up a whole other traditional set of laws called the Mishnah. Everyone say Mishnah. Okay, the Mishnah, the Mishnah was was all the extra writing, all the extra rules to help protect the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. And what came out of the Mishnah was that everybody had to practice this cleanliness. Everybody's got to be clean. This is man's tradition, Jesus says. The Mishnah has 30 pages on how to be clean. How to get clean. Right? Some of you germaphobes and whatnot are like, this is my text. Wash your hands. And the result is an emphasis on man and not an emphasis on God to solve man's problem. That's what's happening. <clears throat> so they come, the, the, they come, these Pharisees come, and they confront Jesus and they ask the question, why? Why are you not living according to the Mishnah. Notice what's void here. The question is, why are you not living according to the word? Why are you not living according to the law of God, but rather the rules that man set up to protect the law? This began, this began to become so ridiculous. Like, literally, this is, what the, this is what the Pharisees said everyone had to do before every meal. If you were to sit down for a meal and you were a practicing Jew before the meal, you would stick your hands upright and water would be poured down the hand and the water would fall off of the elbow. Okay? And then you would do the other hand. And then you'd take the right hand and you'd clean the left hand with your fist. And then you'd take the left hand and you'd clean the other hand with this fist. And then you'd flip your elbows down and you would pour the water down the elbow. It would fall off the fingertips and you'd repeat the process. Aha! You're now clean. I don't know where the soap is. It doesn't matter. That was considered you're clean. Some strict Jews would actually practice this before every course. Here's the hors d'oeuvres. Here comes the main meal. Right? So he even says it here. Look at, look at what he says in the text. Holding, verse 3, second part, half, second half. 
holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Okay, translation, so you understand what's being said in the text. This is what a radical practicing Jew of the Mishnah would practice. He'd go into the marketplace, <clears throat> he'd shop, he'd come home. Again, think of this in the last few years. He'd come home, strip himself of all of his clothing, leave it in the garage, go inside, and he would baptize himself. Now he's clean. Literally, if you went to Safeway, if you went to Rayleigh's, if you went to 7-Eleven, when you got home, you bathed. Again, right? The last couple of years, some of you were like, this sounds normal to me. Totally normal. But the reality was, though, is that this was, all of this was to point towards this truth that we have an unclean heart and God, Christ, in this text is trying to show us you cannot solve that heart. You cannot solve the uncleanness of your heart through external actions or traditions. Traditions won't save you. And if you are somebody who is marked by traditions. Like traditions are more than just a symbol. They are a, a means to an end. That is what we would call, what we would call these Pharisees, the word that we've come up with over the centuries is the word legalist. Anybody familiar with that term? Uh, legalist is not a word that's in the Bible, but it's a use that's uh, used to, to describe the Pharisees and the scribes in these such situations. A, a legalist is somebody whose foundation of faith is not really on faith at all, but rather on human achievement as a means of purity and acceptance. A, a legalist treats biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by your own power in order to earn God's favor. Are you with me? In other words, legalism will be present whenever a person is trying to be ethical on his own strength. That is, without relying on the merciful help of God in Christ. Uh, I met with a gentleman this week. He's congestive heart, heart failure. He, he's, he's homeless. Uh, he's he's going to die. The, the doctors told him, get your affairs in order. And I've known this guy for a long time. He's had a really rough life, came into the office, just asked for some help. He needs some gas card, needs some food, more than happy to help. I sat with him, crossed with him. I said, hey, you told me you're going to die. Uh, I would not be doing you any favors if I didn't ask you, where's your soul going and why? And his answer, much like a lot of Christians or a lot of people today was, well, I'm not worried about where I'm going because I'm a good person. So we got to talk about what that means to be a good person, which is never a popular conversation because the Bible says that you were born in iniquity. The Bible actually teaches whether you like it or not doesn't matter. It's what the text says. The problem of humanity is not on the outside. The problem of humanity is on the inside. That's the point of the text. You don't believe me? Let's continue to read. Verse 14. He called the people again to him, again to himself, and he said, hear me, right? He's commanding. You've got to understand this. There is nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of the person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about a parable. This is a parable, which is an interesting thing. He said to them, are you also without understanding? Here we are. The disciples still don't get it. They're still dull. 
Do you not see whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it goes in, not into his heart, but into his stomach, and then it's expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. By the way, that's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. (laughs) And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. You see, the, the traditionalist, the Pharisee, the legalist, all words I'll use synonymously, make much of observing days, rituals, practices, ideologies. Romans says it like this, one person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Right? What, what Romans is getting to is certain Jews practice certain traditions and then all of a sudden Gentiles got saved and Gentiles didn't practice those things. One of them was circumcision. So not only here, cleaning's an issue. Later in Paul's day, it'll be, well, not only are they not bathing, they're also not being circumcised. And if you're gonna be saved, you've gotta be circumcised. This was one of those traditions. It's an exterior thing. And the reality again is why did Jesus set up circumcision to begin with? To point to the greater need that the heart needs circumcision. That's the greater thing. There's a piece of flesh needs to be cut off to remind you that your flesh needs to be cut out. That's what circumcision is. It's not just for cleanliness. It's not for any other reason other than to point to the reality that we need a new heart. And so one day is esteemed by someone like another. Another one is esteemed another day. One person likes to do Christmas. One person doesn't like a Christmas tree. Other people do. Right? Have you ever dealt with this in the church? I've been doing this long enough to know you people will argue over anything. Tree, no tree. Celebrate Halloween, don't celebrate Halloween. What do we do? This is what Romans says. Everyone needs to be convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What is he saying? He's saying the tradition doesn't matter. What matters is the heart in the tradition. Literally what Jesus is saying is you can celebrate Halloween if you redeem it for the purposes of God. Because it's just a day. Did you know Halloween is a day? I'm just saying this for October when we do our big outreach. And some of you, you guys are celebrating demons. I'm like, dude, that's the same thing they told Jesus. He's doing all of this by the power of demons. No, he isn't. We're standing for the purposes of God. So to make much of traditions, to make much of what you are used to, makes you a legalist. And and you've heard me share these stories over the years. There are those who have gotten upset with painting, changing things, moving things around, doing things differently because the tradition has become the thing they worship rather than Christ. But we don't worship a building. We don't worship a color, right? We're, I don't know if you know this, but like, man, God's on the move at SBC. Did you know that? He's doing stuff. Makes me. Someone uh, this week, just out of nowhere, I, I was telling Brad, someone in the church graciously decided to upgrade all kinds of stuff in the church for us. So uh, some things you'll never notice, but we have um, three brand new, brand new cameras for online streaming. So those of you who are online, I know there's some of you in Alabama, some of you in SoCal. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. I look more crystal clear. I look better probably, I'm hoping. There's a camera back here. There's, there's all these, like, so, like, I don't know. We're getting new lights pretty soon. We're getting some new stuff to clean up the stage. Someone just donated all that out of nowhere. And I told Brad, no, I was like, Brad, how crazy that out of nowhere. And all different people with different things. Like, how crazy? And he goes, Brad goes, well, I've just been praying about it for a couple of years. And then pfft. I was like, well, start praying for the land next door. Then we, not, we want that. If Brad's the guy, tell Brad, start praying for the land. We want the land. We want to build more for the Lord. 
you become a Pharisee when you start to make symbols a way of obtaining favor from God or as a way of obtaining love from the Lord. I mean, this is what Galatians chapter 5 is all about. This is how Martin Luther started the Protestant church because he read Galatians. He called Galatians um, the battle cry of the Reformation. Galatians is known as the Christian Declaration of Independence. He talked about the 4th of July. We are free as Christians to practice our faith as God leads us. For freedom, it says in Galatians 5.1, Christ has set us free. Everyone say amen to that. There's no bondage. There's no yoke. There's no slavery. And he tells us in Galatians, and he told the church in Galatians, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. 1 Corinthians says it really well in chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. That's the liberty you have as a Christian. There's a lot of things you can do. But then Corinthians says, it doesn't mean it's good for you though. And then the kicker it says later in, in Corinthians is, but I'll be mastered by nothing. It means I'm not gonna be ruled by my tradition. And these symbols, again, they're, they're meant to be good. Started out with the priesthood, ended up becoming bad. And what God wanted to convey again here is the idea of how clean and pure and beautiful Jesus is. Now, what the Pharisees were saying, the implication that they were saying is, because you've not washed, you're not clean. And since you're not clean, you're not acceptable to God. And since you're not acceptable to God, you can't worship in the temple. If you're unclean, you cannot worship in the temple. And if you can't worship in the temple, your sins can't be forgiven. All of this means, according to the Jewish law, that you are walking in your sins perpetually, never to be forgiven. You with me? This is a big deal. The Pharisees are essentially telling the disciples they're, they're not going to heaven. They are not part of God. And then <clears throat> I want you to see uh, the progression here. Well, actually, let's, let's hold off on that for a minute. Look at verse 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. Uh, that's not where I want to. Where am I? Someone help me find where it says, and many other things. Is it in verse 4? Oh, there it is. It's covered by, I circled it really big, <laughs> which means I should see it, and I don't. That's so funny. So they taught many other things. So, so okay, here's why this little part's important. Who remembers, Bible 101, who remembers who the book's written to? You know when Brad says there's no wrong answer if you say Jesus? This is where the answer would be wrong. <laughs> it was written to the Gentile audience. They know nothing of this. So, so God in his sovereignty realizes that and understands that the people who are reading this aren't people who practice such tradition. So he gives us an explanation. They teach many other things and they, they observe a lot of other things. Look at all the things they're cleaning and washing. Cups, pots, topper vessels, dining couches. They, they are obsessed They've got all of the chemicals in their house and they are cleaning everything up. And then upon this, Jesus says, he starts to then be to teach in this, in this particular outline of the text, what we'll see now are the implications of what happens when you become a traditionalist or a legalist. The first thing that happens is your heart 
is filled with false worship and your heart is far from God. If you make traditions, religion, if you will, legalism, the means to be clean or the means of salvation, Jesus literally says, your hearts are far from you. He quotes it here from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Look at it. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Vain worship. Your singing doesn't count. If you're a legalist, your praise doesn't count. If you're a legalist, that's kind of what they're saying here. And they're teaching the doctrines of men and their hearts are far from God. Now, I, didn't, I should have known this, but I didn't until this week. The traditional practice for a rabbi, which goes back to what I stated earlier, before the time of 11 or whatever the age is, I think it might be younger, a young Jewish boy, a young Jewish girl would learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would memorize all of the Old Testament, essentially. Right? So in their minds, they, they, they know. They know all of the law. And then Jesus says to them, if you take a look, your hearts are far from me. And he calls them in verse 6, what? You're hypocrites. Jesus uses the word hypocrites 23 times. 21 times it's directed at those who are supposed to believe. Those who are supposed to walk by faith. Those who are supposed to be closest with God. Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? An actor, a pretender. It's all fake. It's not real. You honor me with your lips, he says, but your heart is far from me. What's the implication of this? You you can have somebody even today, regular in their worship, orthodox in their teaching. They may believe in heaven and hell. Their conduct may be moral. Man, they cry on the 4th of July. They serve their country. They're all about the Declaration of Independence. They tithe. They keep the Sabbath. That's what these Pharisees are like, but their hearts are far from God. What that means is you can look great on the outside. You can do all of the right Christian things and your heart can be far from God. Church, you have to hear this. What brings someone close to Jesus has nothing to do with what you do or what you can do for the Lord. None of it makes you pure. None of it makes you clean. Humanity knows that there is a heart issue and humanity in our culture continues to teach. In order to fix man's issue, we fix it from the outside in. The issue with man is all of the exterior problems. So we're going to solve it with exterior methods. That's what the Pharisees are doing. I got a problem with God. And if I can fix it, I will do it. And how do I fix it? I just got to wash a lot. I just have to bathe a lot. If I do this, I'll stay pure. What a sad state to live in. What if you die and you didn't wash your hands before that meal? Are you dead in your sins? They're honoring God with their lips. Jesus says in Matthew 23, you're hypocrites. He says it again. He says, you're like, you're like a tombstone. You're nice. You're marble on the outside. You're all clean. It looks good. It looks pretty. But inside, underneath the ground, you're filled with dead men's bones. Which is another way of Jesus saying, because what, do you remember what's unclean? Dead bodies? You're unclean. And Jesus is Jesus starts to use this idea of scripture. He says, it is written. Now, what was common, I'll get back to what I was saying earlier. Sorry, my mind's in a couple different places, but you're my practice sermon. Um, what was common for rabbis, because of the memorization of scripture, rabbis 
remember, there's no chapter and verses in the Bible until like a few hundred years ago. So what they would do, because the mem- scripture was memorized, is literally the rabbis would quote just the, the first, first one or two verses of a particular text, and it would bring to memory the rest of the text. So here what, what Jesus does, and this is a reminder if you're a student of the Bible, when you see an Old Testament thing in the Bible, first of all, you'll know it's from the Old Testament it, it, because it's segmented differently. Do you see that in your scripture? It should be. If not, we have new Bibles for sale in the coffee shop. So it's segmented, and usually there'll be a little note in there, and it'll tell you what this is. And, and sure enough, the little segment, verse 6 and 7, is Isaiah 29, verse 13. Now, for the, the readers, the Jewish audience who would be reading this, they would immediately hear 29:13, and it would bring to remembrance 29, 14, 15, and 16. Seem easy enough? I know it's complicated. <laughs> and this is what the rest of Isaiah says. Listen. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. What is, what is Jesus saying to these Pharisees? He's saying, I am God. And I will come, and I will do wonderful things. And that wonderful thing is the reality that we're saved by grace and grace alone and not through the traditions of men. And so God in his sovereignty quotes this verse, and then we get into verse 15, and he says, Ah, you, I like reading with emotion, who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? He, he's saying to the Pharisees, I'm the wonderful one. I'm the one who's going to do the great things. You, on the other hand, you're hiding from the Lord and you're thinking no one actually sees the inside of your heart that it's wicked and it's unclean and you're unsaved. He goes on, verse 16, you turn things upside down. That's what putting an emphasis on tradition, an emphasis on religion does. It turns everything upside down. When we stand for the reading of Scripture, do you know it does absolutely nothing unless you do it in faith? It doesn't save you. It doesn't make the Scripture more powerful. It's a way to remind us of something greater. God is king, and we are his subjects. He goes on, and he says this. In Isaiah, shall the potter be regarded as the clay? Can you mold me and shape me? No, I'm God. That the thing made should save its maker, he did not make me. One thing formed, say, of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Jesus is telling them, he is defaming them, they misunderstand what God is doing. See, if you make traditions of man the focus, you're ultimately making yourself the focus. And you are becoming a prideful person. And God has all kinds of things to say about pride. Now, <clears throat> the first thing, if you've been trying to follow my outline, which i probably not being as clear, like I said, your practice. Traditions of man, when we overemphasize traditions of man, it leads to false worship and hearts that are far from God. That's number one. The second thing I want you to see from what Jesus says here is that the traditions of man, when they are made the focus, makes void the word of God. 
Notice, why do you leave? There's an exchange. You've traded in, literally, the traditions of man for the word of God. Notice the progression in the text. Verse 7, first, they teach the commandments of men. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, especially if it's pointing towards a deeper truth. So it's not so bad at first. Verse 9 takes another step, though, right? They, they start to teach the commandments of men. Again, not bad, but if you're not emphasizing them with the gospel, if you're not emphasizing them with Jesus, it can lead you astray, especially into the next progression of the step, which is verse 9. They then reject the commandment of God. That's what he says here. You're rejecting the actual commandment of God. Then, then thirdly, the next progression is they void the word of God. And as they progress, they start to use the word of God to actually, to actually um, make an excuse for their sin. So, so notice this fun little word in verse 11. Ever say Corbin. They make Corbin. What is Corbin? Well, studying this week, it's become one of my new favorite words. I'm going to use it in my... Uh, in my house and in the office here. So here's what Corbin is. Corbin, again, was a Jewish tradition that when you got a particular asset, whatever that asset might be, money, funds, another house, a Jew could say, a Jewish practicing Judaism, he, he could say, Corbin to his money. Yeah. <laughs> See, he's going to remember this. You guys are going to remember. Corbin. Corbin meant you can't use it for anything else, right? You come over to my house, you open up the fridge, you're like, oh, Jesse, we having steak tonight? No, Corbin! It's for the Lord, can't give you the steak. Right, someone walks in my office, I got a fridge with some drinks in it, they open it up, Joe Casey likes to come in and steal my energy drinks. Like, Corbin! That's my drink. You can't have it. Right, Abby? Corbin. Can't have it. Jesus says, this is what you're doing. What does this mean? And he, he, he literally, we didn't read it, read it yet in the text, but he says specifically, you're using Corbin, verse 11. And before that, he says, whoever reviles your father and mother must surely die because the law of God is that you would honor your father and your mother. And all fathers and mothers said, amen. amen. My son's right here in the front row, right? He's, he's to honor me. He's doing a great job. Look at him sitting in the front row, paying attention, curly hair. Yeah, I say, what's up, bro? His job, according to scriptures, to honor his father and mother. That's his job. That's how he glorifies God. Are you listening, son? <laughs> and what would happen is mom and dad would get older. And if for some reason a Pharisee or a practicing Jew didn't want to care for his parents but had the means to do so, Corbin. I can't help you, mom, because all my funds are Corbin. And what is Jesus saying? You are voiding the word of God and you're manipulating the word of God for your own purposes. You're cherry picking what you like and you're leaving behind what you don't like. And you're justifying pieces of scripture to do something that is actually quite evil and anti-Christ and anti-gospel and you're justifying it by being spiritual. And this is what a legalist does. They look good. They act good. They seem like they're good leaders. They seem like they're good standing in the, in the community. But the reality is their hearts are far from God because they really don't care about people they only care about themselves. That's what's happening. When you make much of traditions, you dehumanize even those that you should be loving the most. When your tradition becomes more than, than, than is necessary, when you're willing to lose the relationship over the tradition, that's a problem. And we have fought really hard 
as a church leadership to not fall into these pitfalls because it's so easy to do. Even while I'm preaching, my job is to make much of Christ and his grace. And it's so easy, even as a preacher, to turn it into just teaching the law. What you must do. See, the emphasis from the Pharisees is, this is what you must do to be saved. And what Jesus is saying is, we need a shift in our preaching. We need a shift from our preaching away from what must be done. And we need to shift it to what has already occurred. Jesus has already made us clean. Which leads to my last point, and we'll close. If you're a note-taker, let me repeat myself. When you make much of traditions, your heart will be far from God. When you make much of traditions, you can easily make void the word of God in your own life. And lastly, when you make much of traditions, it can confuse you. You can become confused. And this is exactly what's happened here. They're confused at the source and the nature of man's problem. They think that they can fix man's problem by just changing those things that are on the outside. You see this today. You do. You've heard me say it on many occasions. We just need better politicians. We need better, you know, the way we think about taxing. Our culture right now is telling us we just need to move completely away from gasoline. We don't care if you live in California at 6,000 feet. You need an electrical snowblower. Unless you're putting one of those things in front of a Tesla. I don't know. Right? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. That mankind has said, listen, you've got all of these issues. You've got all these problems. We just need to change things on the outside. And what is Jesus ultimately saying here? The problem's not on the outside, guys. The problem's on the inside. Man's problem comes from within. Did you know the pollution of the planet is not man's greatest problem? It's the pollution of the heart. If you don't believe me, let's just look exactly what Jesus actually is saying here in the text before we close. Verse 14 slide down to verse 15 there's nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him but it's the things that come out of the person that defiles him now Jesus makes a contrast Mark is an artist at making contrasts and when he had entered the house and he left the people the disciples asked him about the parable and he said to them then are you also without understanding this, well, again they're dull do you not see what goes into a person which is food it doesn't go into his heart. It cannot defile him. It enters not into his heart, but it goes into his stomach and it's expelled. Literally what Jesus is saying is all the food that you eat, when you eat it, you eat it, it gets purified, and then you get rid of the waste. But the heart, he says, the heart, it's already in there, and as it's pumping, it's continually pumping evil into you. Your heart's the problem. You need a new heart. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there's, okay, I'm going to close here in a minute. I, I was so purposeful to be better on my time this morning, and I'm not doing it. <clears throat> Jesus is letting, he's making the comparison, the contrast. That, I'm sorry to be crass. I'm going to try to do it as, as delicately as I can. That which goes into the toilet is what Jesus is saying is not nearly as bad as what comes out of your heart. 
He just said it. I didn't. He did. Okay, don't get mad at me. John Calvin said, the heart's like an idol factory. It just keeps pumping out different things that we want to worship. The heart's an issue. And you can be confused at how you solve the hypocrisy of your heart. You can think maybe it's coming to church that makes you okay. Maybe it's tithing that makes you okay. Maybe it's taking communion that makes you okay. Maybe it's more prayer that makes you okay. Maybe if I get baptized next week, it'll make me okay. That is a symbol, by the way. Baptism does nothing for you. It's a symbol that points to the ultimate truth that you have died and been resurrected with Christ. It's a symbol that points us to something. The moment you make baptism about salvation, you've manipulated baptism. The moment you make baptism about being clean, you've manipulated baptism. Baptism shows you already are clean. And Jesus shows us the, the ugliness that comes out of the heart. What, what one great theologian calls the fingers of sin. And there's 12 of them that are here, maybe even 13. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander. All of them come from the heart. And here's where I'll close. Do you remember the words of Jesus? If your eye causes you to sin, do what? If your hand causes you to sin, do what? Okay, you have to read that and think to yourself, what? Especially if you're a guy. You have to go there and go, wait a minute, the problem, I can cut out my right eye, but then I still have a left eye. I can cut off my right hand, but I still have a left hand. I can cut off my, it, it, the reason that Jesus says it that way is to get you to go, that seems so radical, what am I supposed to do? But then when you take all of Jesus' words together, he's not saying, what he's definitely not saying is that your hands are the problem or that your eyes are the problem. That's what he's saying in chapter seven. Your hands are not the issue, guys. Washing your hands isn't gonna do anything for you spiritually, guys. You need not to cut off really your hands, not to cut off your feet, not to cut off your eyes. You got to cut out your heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, what causes your right hand to sin? Your heart. What causes your right or left eye to lust? Your heart. You need a new heart. How do you get a new heart? There's only one answer. Faith in Christ. Everyone say amen to that. It's by believing upon Jesus. And this is where Ezekiel prophesied that he would take out in chapter 36. He will take out your heart of stone and he'll give you a heart of flesh. Not be, how does one rip out their heart? I can cut my hand off. I, I could gouge my eye out. But I can't remove my heart. Humanity needs a new heart. How does one get a new heart? Faith in the Christ. Hebrews 10:22. Let us draw near to the Father with a true heart and full assurance. Text matters, words matter. Full assurance of what? Faith. He goes on with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Lord David Cecil said of the Holocaust, the jargon of the philosophy of progress taught to us, taught us to think that the savage and primitive state of man is behind us. But barbarianism is not behind us. It's within us. He said of the Holocaust that it occurred because of the evilness of man. 
But if you draw near to the Father with full assurance of faith, he'll sprinkle your heart. The key to getting a new heart is drawing near to Christ in faith. James 4, 8, draw near to God. He'll draw near to, near to you. And he gets into a big old spiel about being clean. And by confessing our sin, reminding us that we need cleansing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. I mean, ultimately, church, what I need you to know and what I think God wants you to know and desires you to know as you leave this place is that your heart is made clean because of the grace of Jesus Christ. For some of you, he wants to liberate you from the traditions of man that crush. You can never live up to him. Never live up to dad's standards, right? But God has lived up to dad's standards. God has lived up to God the Father's standards of cleanliness, purity, holiness, righteousness, and we're in desperate need of that. And the only way that we can receive it is in faith in Christ and calling out to him and saying, Lord Jesus, please give me a heart, a clean heart. Because I am hopeless without Christ intervening and ripping out that heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. My church friends, my faith family, none of us get close to Christ by anything that we do because it's not about what we do. It's about what he has done. And Jesus has made us clean. And we have tremendous freedom in Christ. May we continue to share that good news. Your friends that have struggles, they need a new heart. And even you this morning, you may need a new heart. And that same invitation that Brad gave to you last week is the same invitation that you have this week you would turn your eyes upon Christ and in faith you would follow him and in faith you would trust that Jesus has done everything necessary not only for your salvation but also for your continual and continual cleansing amen oh man pray for me I have like 800 more things I want to share with you but I don't have time Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we leave this place that we would be encouraged. Encouraged, Lord, that we, we don't have to do anything to be saved. And maybe for some people that's hard because, because at the end of the day, so many of that, that little legalistic traditional heart in us wants to say, but I, I just want to know what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be close to God? And Lord, it's just the wrong question. Because the answer is really there's nothing you can do. The only hope we have is to take the little bit of faith, even if it's a mustard seed, and place it in your hands and say, Lord, I do believe in the solid declaration that because I believe in you that I've been washed clean of my sin and I've been made pure and holy and you accept me for who I am. And you now will continue to help me grow to be like you in your grace. And we trust you for that. We pray our church continues to do that. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone else this morning, maybe last week, Lord, they didn't have the opportunity to give their life to you. And I pray that they would choose to do that this morning. They would find one of us leaders, myself or Brad or Caleb or one of the leaders and say, I've given my heart to the Lord. What do I need to do now? 
What are my next steps in following after Jesus as my Savior? I pray, Lord, you continue to bring people to you here and continue to draw us near to you and cleanse us from our sin. We trust you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends, let's uh, stand and respond.